Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners, and I want to thank John and Lisa for sending in checks to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 15... 913 Boise, Idaho 83715. You can also uh, donate online, support.greatdetectives.net, or become a Patreon supporter at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Not Beat, the original air date, May the 8th of 1950. And it's the broadcast version of the pilot story. This time it's titled The Elevator Keeper. Wheaties presents Nightbeat. Wheaties Big Parade. The makers of America's favorite whole wheat flakes, Wheaties Breakfast of Champions, invite you to Wheaties Big Parade, a thrilling procession of radio's greatest summer entertainment programs. Yours for the listening on NBC. On stage tonight from Hollywood, another in this series of exciting half-hour presentations. Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. This one began in the county morgue. A poor devil lying on a hard slab, murdered through the courtesy of yours truly, Randy Stone. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Here's a remarkable piece of news. I've heard there are people who eat Wheaties at breakfast just about every morning of their lives. They do. They leap from shower to kitchen and reach for the Wheaties as sure as they reach for the milk. And you know, it isn't because they haven't tried other foods. Oh, yes, they've tried others. But Wheaties, they never get tired of. Wheaties are light. Wheaties are crisp. Wheaties are nice to be with every morning of your life, if you choose. I suggest you take a spoon to a bowl full of Wheaties in the very near future and see just how special they are. That was Wheaties. Your grocer has them. Do you? They call my night beat stories human interest, which means after you've struggled through the latest atom bomb scare, the latest spy scare, the latest murder, the latest slaughter on the highway, you come to page 17 and Randy Stone. And I'm supposed to give you a little breather, some nice, simple human story to make you believe no matter how tough things are, the world has a heart. Only every once in a while, it doesn't work out just that way. Human interest. (laughs) Oh, yeah. A corpse in a dark alley was the business at hand. In a big city, a dead man is a pretty impersonal thing. But this one I had a special interest in because they wanted me to identify him. So here I was in the early morning standing beside a sheet-covered slab. 
Then the police lieutenant nodded and the attendant pulled back the sheet. Well? Yeah, that's him. That's Ted Carter. Okay, that does it. We had to get positive identification, Randy. You were the only one we could reach. Sorry I had to get you out of bed. Oh, that's all right. Well, I guess that winds it up. Thanks for the trouble. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Huh? What do you mean, thanks? What happens now? We go back and catch up on our sleep? I know you had a friendly interest in the kid, Randy. But he got it the way all hoodlums eventually get it. He was going straight, and you know it. What are you getting sore about? Who did it? Who killed him? Go to any book joint, any gin mill, look in any back alley, any flop house. Whoever you find there could have done it. Take your pick. Take my pick? Nobody talks. Nobody remembers anything. No clues. But enough suspects to fill soldiers' field. In my book, it's murder by person or persons unknown. Oh, just like that? Just like that. Well, maybe for you it's that way, but not for me, Lieutenant. Huh? You want the man who put Ted Carter under that canvas sheet? Well, brother, you just reach out and touch. What are you talking about? I've known Ted since we were kids. We grew up in the same block of tenements. Whenever we got together, I never passed up a chance to make some fancy speeches about Ted going straight and leading a good life. Because he liked me, he finally let me soften him up. He started going straight. You know he did. Now, Randy, Only don't... somebody didn't like the idea of him going straight, so now he's lying on that slab, a tribute to my eloquence. Ah, uh, it's crazy to think that way, Randy. Okay, it's crazy. But if I don't find out who killed Ted Carter, I'm going to start having some lousy dreams, Lieutenant. And I'm a guy who likes to sleep sound. <laughs> I walked away from the lieutenant like he had the smallpox, and I'd never been vaccinated. When I hit the street, it was raining. I waited for a cab, thinking that for the first time, I hated this city. I hated it because somewhere in that rain was Ted's killer. What was he doing now? Waiting for the first editions to come out to see how well he'd done? He'd have to look hard to find out anything about Ted. Page six, ex-hoodlum, found shot, period. When you're an ex-anything, that's a nice way of saying you're dead, brother. Lie down. When a cab showed up, I went over to see Ted's girl, Joan. As soon as she opened the door, I knew she'd found out. Come in. Her face looked pinched and pale. Her eyes were red like she'd squeezed out the last tear. Oh, Randy, Randy, why did it have to happen like that? I'm sorry, Joan. You didn't go down to see... No. No, I couldn't. Sure, I understand. Who do you think did it? I don't know. He told me he was all through with the rackets. What was he doing? Who'd he been mixed up with? He never told me anything. I believed him when he said he was going straight. Uh I'm going to find out who killed him, Joan. Oh, Randy, you and Ted live in different worlds. Who was the last guy he worked for, Joan? Who got sore when Ted decided to go straight? I don't know. I... I don't know. I went around to the old haunts. His former friends, they didn't know. The district attorney didn't know. The cops didn't know. Ted had kicked around in this city among all these people for 28 years. And now suddenly it was like he'd never lived at all. Then I remembered a little item from his old life. A little item with baby blue eyes and red hair. Laverne Claire. He'd gone with her before he met Joan and... Even after he met Joan, he kept sneaking back to her. Like a drunk trying to decide whether to spend his last coin calling for help or buying a glass of Muscatel. I went looking for Laverne. She had the number four spot on one of those five times a day shows on the untidy side of town. When I got there, I had to wait until the fleshy part of the entertainment was over. And then I went to her dressing room. You... 
Ted spent a lot of time telling me how crazy he was about you, Laverne. Yeah. He was a sweet guy. Ted was all right. Yeah, he uh, liked to tell me about the way you looked when you danced. Yeah, sure. Where's my drink? Yeah. Who do you think killed him, Laverne? Look, Mr. Stone, you're a nice guy. You don't want to get mixed up with Bailey. Bailey? I didn't say Bailey. So it's Bailey. How big can you get? Bailey? No. He's had his claws around this town's throat for quite a spell. So Ted knew something. No, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say anything. Get out of here. Right away, you understand? Yeah, yeah. I'm beginning to understand. So I had myself a lead. Only what a lead. Bailey, the new type gangster, suite of offices in the loop, a home in the country, patron of the arts. The kind of rat who wouldn't be caught dead nibbling on anything but imported Roquefort. After I told Joan of my lead, I went to see the lieutenant who told me to take my pick as to who killed Ted. I'd taken my pick. Bailey! Randy, you surprise me. You don't really expect me to arrest Bailey. You want to bet? What have I got to go on? A drunken dame? Well, arrest him on suspicion. Sweat it out of him. Sure, just like that. Oh, so you won't touch Bailey. Give me something to go on and sure, I'll touch him with a baseball bat. But it's got to be good, Randy. It's got to be good. I couldn't stop. I was like a snowball that somebody started rolling down a hill. Ted was dead because he believed in me. I couldn't forget that any more than I could forget my name. Then I remembered my job. The paper, sure, why not? What big shot racketeer sends for his aspirin every time someone mentions the back alley murder of Ted Carter? What is the district attorney going to get wise and change the address of Mr. B from an uptown penthouse to a downstate death house? Now listen to this, Mr. Bailey. Stone's latest little offering. When are the police going to bring in the Carter killer? Let me see it. And if they don't know who it is, I'll give them a hint. Think of Daly and reach for the letter B. How long is he going to get away with it? Hand me the phone. Yes, sir. Hello? I want Randy Stone. You've got him. I'll say it only once, Mr. Stone. Mm-hmm. I don't like this kind of publicity. Oh, you must be Bailey. I'm asking you to stop. Real polite-like, huh? That's right, polite. So what's the good word, Mr. Stone? The good word? I got a whole sack full. You get a copy of the Star first thing tomorrow, you'll see him right under my byline. Now listen, Stone. Something like this. When are the local gendarmes going to knock on Mr. Bailey's door with a warrant for his... <laughs> okay, so he doesn't want a preview. So I'll let him pay seven cents. Well, that was more like it. I started feeling like one of those uranium prospectors when the Geiger counter starts to click. So Bailey was beginning to squirm. Well, 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 and him it looked just fine. I was feeling pretty good when I headed for home. I opened my door and stepped inside. I've been waiting for oh. you, Mr. Stone. My name's Jerry. Well, uh, Jerry, as long as you're here, make yourself at home. <laughs> you're a humorist, aren't you? Like your friend Ted Carter. What do you know about Ted Carter? Ah, he was the regular card. Okay. What do you want? 
Mr. Bailey sent me over to take a look at you. Your boss, Mr. Bailey. Mm-hmm. And you, your little boy, Blue, huh? <laughs> a wisecracker, all right. But tell a boss of yours I'll be dropping around to see him for an interview. Uh-uh. Hmm? He doesn't want it that way. He sent me to see you instead. Yeah? Mr. Bailey wants me to teach you a lesson. With this bletch. <laughs> Mr. Bailey doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> Wise cracker. General Mills is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Just about any place you go in this country, if there's a store that sells food, you'll find they have Wheaties. They have to. People ask for them all the time. Now, I'm not suggesting you dash out tonight, tonight, for a package of Wheaties. But if you will remember to reach for them the next time you're buying groceries, I think I can guarantee you'll enjoy them. Because Wheaties are enjoyable. That's why all these people eat them. With milk, with cream, with sugar, without sugar, with bananas, with strawberries, any way you like them, Wheaties are good company at the table. Good for you, too. Whole wheat. Flakes of golden whole wheat. Very good eating. Wheaties. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. I woke up with a nice view of my ceiling. The sign outside the window flashed on and off, and every time it flashed on, it was like that punk of Bailey's with his blackjack, testing his strength on my skull and doing fine. After a while, I crawled into the bathroom and held my head under a cold tap until my eyes came back into focus. I cleaned up, changed clothes, and found a cab. It was a quarter to eleven when I reached Joan's apartment. I had to knock a long time before she came to the door. She was rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. Randy? Come on in. Thanks, honey. What happened to you? A surprise party by the same people who surprised Ted. Oh, wait a minute. I'll get some bandages. No, no, that's not why I came. No? When Ted quit the rackets, what did he do with his gun? He left it with me to show he was on the up and up. Why? I want Ted's gun. What are you going to do with it? Never mind. Just get me the gun. No, Randy. You'll only The gun, honey. Come on, the gun. It's in the bottom drawer of the dresser. I'll get it. But I think you're crazy. Here. Thank you. Where are you going? Wentworth Towers. Bailey has an office. Randy, you're walking right into a trap. They'll kill you like they killed Ted. Well, if I don't go, Jerry will be coming around again. See, either way, it's no good. At least this way I say when. Wish me luck. Luck? Oh, you fool. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. When I got to the Wentworth Towers, it was almost midnight. The front door was locked. The only light in the lobby came from the night elevator. An old man sat inside the elevator dozing. I pounded on the window. He got to his feet and he started walking toward me. He snapped the lock and pushed open the front door. Nobody in this building now. All the offices are closed. Not all of them, Pop. I have an appointment with Mr. Bailey. You have? Okay, I'll take you up. 34th floor. Come in. As the elevator rose, I dipped my hand in my coat pocket. The cold touch of the gun had the comforting sensation of a boy holding his father's hand. 
The elevator came to a stop on the 34th floor. The doors opened and Jerry stepped out of the darkness. Only his gun was in his fist. Take us downstairs, Pop. Sure thing, Jerry. I want to see Bailey. Yeah, we know, but Bailey doesn't want to see. Keep your hands out of your pockets. Now, let's see what you got there. Come on. <laughs> a gun. Hey, that's pretty nice. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, don't mention it. I'm always handing out souvenirs. You go out first, Pop. Open the street door. All right, Jerry. I'll get it open for you. Is everything all right, Pop? Is it all clear? Why don't you go out there and see? Here, I'll help you. Hey, what? I shoved the kid out, pushed the lever that slammed the door shut, started the elevator going up. I could see little lights blink on the instrument panel as I passed each floor. Bailey was on the 34th floor, and I was getting closer. Closer. And then it stopped. I kept punching the lever again and again, but the elevator wouldn't budge. I tried to open the door, but it was sealed tight. Signals on the panel said I was stuck between the 11th and 12th floors. Little boy Blue and the old man had gone to the basement and switched off the power of my elevator. I didn't have to be a mastermind to figure out what would happen next. They'd bring up one of the other elevators and come after me. I began to feel like an animal trapped in a cage. Yes, the other elevator was on its way right on cue. I was trapped, but good. But as long as I was between floors, they couldn't get to me either. Little boy Blue figured it that way, too. Are we going to get his elevator down here so we can get at him? You wait here. I'll go down to the basement and get him down to the 11th with the emergency crank. All right, but hurry. It was turning into a big evening. In a couple of minutes, I could feel my elevator inching down toward the 11th floor. I looked around for some kind of an out. And then I saw the little emergency door on the roof of the elevator. I climbed up on the old man's stool and pushed the door upward. And I started pulling myself out of the cage. <sighs> now I was standing on top of the elevator, hanging onto that greasy cable that ran down from the roof. I heard a shattering of glass, which meant the kid was using his gun butt to break through the little glass window in my elevator door so that he could reach in and spring it out. Mm, that was nice figuring. Now if I could figure a way to stay alive for the next five minutes, Mr. Einstein could move over. Where is he? How can he get out of here? He couldn't. Hey, Jerry, look up there. What? The trap door's open. He's on top of the elevator. Yeah? Ah, now, that ain't playing fair. How many floors in this building, Pop? Thirty-five. Why? <laughs> I've always wanted to run an elevator. Let's see how fast we can get to the roof. Jerry! Shut up. <laughs> Hold on to your hat, Stone. We were rising a mile a minute. All I could do was sprawl down and watch the roof of the building coming at me faster and faster. The roof rushing to meet me like we were lovers from way back, faster and faster. Almost to the top. Almost. Now I know how those goats felt when that bomb went off at Bikini. The shock of the elevator smacking against the huge top spring shook me up like a bag of cement in a concrete mixer. But I was alive, which is always encouraging. Jerry stepped off on the 35th floor. Then Pop started taking the elevator down very slowly. 
I was still sprawled out on top of the elevator trying to get the cobwebs out of my brain. All right, Pop. <laughs> well, you must be the original Indian rubber man, Stone. <laughs> you make a fortune in the circus. Oh, nothing at all. I owe it all to my heavy underwear. Come on. Climb out here. How can I refuse such a nice invitation, especially when you're holding a gun? All right, come on back up, Pop. Who's that? Those are the cleaning women. Better put your gun away. Well, then this is sure a break. Uh, I thought you'd be taking a snooze. All right, come on, get in. Yeah, let's all get in. It's hard to get an elevator this time of night. Uh, sure is. We rode down, the four of us. No one said anything. The cleaning woman was half dead on her feet. Uh. Her head bobbing half asleep. That lovely, innocent, tired old gal was saving my life as long as she was with us. I'll get out on the third floor, Pop. I'm going to the dressing room. Three it is. Here you are, number three. Uh, thank you. Uh, good night, Pop. I'll see you, Pop. I get off here, too. No, you don't. This isn't the main floor. For me, this is the main floor. Stone! Come back here, Stone! I race down the dark hall. Stone! Past back the cleaning here. woman who stared at me with her mouth wide open. In the distance, I saw what I was looking for. A little red sign that said stairway. My little pal was right behind me. I got to the stairs, started down two, three at a time. He was right on my tail. You're not getting away, Scout. I got out of here fast. This party was getting rough. I reached the main floor, but instead of going through the lobby, I ducked behind the cigar counter. The kid raced by. He went through the front door looking for me on the street outside. I looked at the indicator over on the night elevator door. The old guy was still parked on the third floor. I went to the stairs again and down into the basement. I needed an elevator in the worst way. There were several parked there for the night. I took one and started up. I was getting to be a regular genius with these elevators. But this was going to be the end of the little game. I was finally on my way up to Bailey. Thirty-fourth floor. The building tapered off up here. Around the small square hallway were six office doors. Bailey was behind one of those doors. I tried the first door, nothing. The second door was locked, too. Then a telephone started ringing inside one of the offices. I hurried over to it. It was locked. The transom was half open, but no light showed through. Then, as I was about to turn away, I heard... Hello, Jerry. Crazy fool, he's up here. Yes, in the hall, just outside this door. Get up here right away. Don't take any chances. As soon as your elevator door is open, kill him. All right, move. Now, what are your plans, Mr. Stone? That was a good question of Bailey's. What was I going to do? I couldn't break into Bailey's office. I didn't have a gun. He'd kill me before I could turn the doorknob. The indicator above the night elevator door was blinking fast. It was on its way up. The kid was in it, and the instant the door opened, he'd kill me. Right then, I started thinking of Joan. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. Yes, it was beginning to look that way. The elevator passed the 17th floor, 18th, 19th. The little lights were dancing like a string of shooting stars. 
The kid was coming up fast. I was beginning to feel those bullets tearing into my back. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. With five bullet holes in my back. His back. I'd fought my way 34 stories to reach Bailey, and now I wasn't thinking about Bailey. You'll end up like Ted with five bullet holes in your back. As the kid's elevator passed the 32nd floor, I started running for the elevator I'd brought up from the basement. I jumped into it and started down. I didn't want to kill Bailey anymore. I only wanted to get to Joan. Joan was waiting for me when I got to her apartment. She wanted the whole story, everything that happened. When I finished, I watched her relax a little. Oh, then... Then you didn't kill Bailey. No, Joan, I didn't kill Bailey. Oh, I... Police are... Sounds like it's stopping in front of the house. Yeah, they came here sooner than I expected. Sooner than you would... Randy, you've been lying to me. You did kill Bailey. They've come to arrest you. You lied. I haven't lied, Joan. And they haven't come to arrest me. They... What? They've come to arrest you. Me? For the murder of Ted Carter. Randy, what are you talking about? I didn't... Oh, yes, you did. You said the wrong thing tonight when I went out to get Bailey. What do you mean? You said I'd end up like Ted with five bullet holes in my back. How did you know about that? I... 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 Mm -hmm. It wasn't in any of the newspaper stories. You never went to the morgue. There was no way on earth you could have known unless you killed him. I'll be right with you. Well, that's the police, Joan. Any more questions? Yes. Do you know what it's like to be in love like that? I was willing to do anything for him. Scrub his floor, wash his clothes, give him a good home, anything. But he always kept going back to Laverne. Why, I loved him. Do you think I could let any other woman... Okay, boys, I'll let you in. But I want you to know one thing, Joan. No matter what you thought, Ted really loved you. You see, Laverne represented his old world. But with you, he was going to have a new life. You'll remember that, will you? Okay, boys, she's all yours. Yeah, that's the story of Ted Carter. Murdered in the name of love. Okay, if that's what love does to you, I'll swing along with Canasta. Ah, oh, I'm just feeling low tonight. Because murder is only a symptom of what we're suffering from. The disease is selfishness and jealousy and greed. Too many of us have decided that the golden rule might have been all right for Grandpa, but nowadays the fashionable thing is dog-eat-dog. Oh, relax, Randy, boy, relax. It's always a tough world at five in the morning with a stale cup of coffee and a second-hand ham sandwich at your elbow. Cheer up, kid. Look what's coming up over the loop. The sun. <laughs> Thank you, smiling Sam. Copy, boy. You are listening to Nightbeat on the Wheaties Big Parade. Here's a note from the Wheaties people to the people of Reader's Digest. Dear Reader's Digest, thank you for that article you put in your May issue about eating breakfast. 
Thanks for showing that non-commercial investigators find Americans eating not enough breakfast. Thanks for showing that American women are way off the beam in skipping breakfast. Thanks for showing that breakfast is important for feeling fine and working fine and looking fine. In other words, dear Reader's Digest, thank you for that good article. We think breakfast is important, too. We've been saying for years that Wheaties, breakfast of champions, can help make a better one. We hope everybody who can read will turn to page 73 of your May issue. Sincerely yours, General Mills, makers of Wheaties. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis, written and edited by Larry Marcus, with music by Frank Worth. Others in tonight's cast were Joan Banks, Charles Seal, Virginia Gregg, Wilms Herbert, Gail Barney, and Bill Conrad. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. And on Wednesday night, listen to Brian Donlevy in Dangerous Assignment on the Wheaties' Big Parade. Going to bake a pie sometime soon? Make it with Crust Quick, the Betty Crocker pie crust mix. You know, it's a tender, flaky crust that's at the bottom of every delicious pie, sure as you use Crust Quick. And so easy. Just add water to crust quick. Mmm, and what pie crust? Tender crust, tasty crust, rich, short, lovely crust, just like Betty Crocker makes. And you can make it. Just add water to crust quick. Crust quick, the Betty Crocker pie crust mix. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Listen now for Christopher London on NBC. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. I was kind of surprised they didn't change it uh, all that much, but often that's the case. It's still a really good story, even though it doesn't really fit in as well with what Not Beat uh, has become. All right, well, quickly on to listener comments and feedback. And uh, comments from regarding episode 2097, Tongwater. Uh, Katie says, I enjoyed it so much. Uh, thanks, Frank Lovejoy is great as Randy Stone. And uh, Gerard says, Not Beat is great radio drama. Well, thanks so much for the comments. That will actually do it for today. Join us back here next Monday for another episode of Not Beat. And coming up tomorrow, it is the premiere of Inspector Thorne. 
In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.